good morning and welcome to Trinity. Uh, we are glad that you are with us this morning, either in person or with us online. It is, as I try to say each week, a joy and a privilege to be able to gather together for worship and for the Word. Just a few things to share with you before we jump into the last message in our Ecclesiastes series. First, we announced this week uh, the hiring of Heather North as our administrative assistant. Uh, yep, absolutely. Very excited about that. Um, she begins uh, officially tomorrow. Also very uh, excited about that. And so uh, we are very much looking forward to her joining uh, our team and doing such great and helpful work. No pressure. Um, and then just a couple of things about next week. So next Sunday, sub- September 18th, uh, we have sort of our fall kickoff. Not sort of, it is our fall kickoff. A uh, couple of things with that. One, uh, we are going to have a fall kickoff Trinity family picnic next Sunday. Uh, we'll provide subs and drinks, uh, and uh, we just ask that you bring something along for that sort of gathering, a salad, a side, a dessert, uh, but we'll have subs and drinks, and it'll be a great time enjoying good fellowship together. It would be great if you jumped online at trinitynh.org and, and registered for that so that we'd have a good, at least a good ballpark of what to expect for the subs and drinks, um, but we certainly would love for you and uh, anyone else that you would feel like would be a great uh, person to invite along and be a part of that time with us uh, next Sunday. Also next Sunday, our Trinity classes kick off. We have classes for adults, students, children. Uh, and we're very excited uh, about what we're offering uh, starting this fall. Uh, for our adults, we have three classes that will be available to you. One is a theology class on the doctrine of God. And we are going to be talking about uh, the character of God, the nature of God. And we're going to be looking at him. And uh, we're going to spend three years through that. So our, our year ahead is the doctrine of God and the God who is. And then next year, we're going to look at the God who saves and then thirdly, the third year, the God who sins. And so we're very excited about that. Uh, we have this fall a parenting class. And so we would encourage you parents to be involved in that. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, parenting by design and intentional parenting principles from the master designer. Uh, Tom and Donna Wendell will be facilitating that class. And it'll be a great opportunity uh, for you to be encouraged and equipped in parenting. And then we have a class for women that will meet in the lounge, and there will begin a series on discerning the voice of God uh, to help you explore a more intimate relationship with God, one that can make hearing Him, His will, His heart, His voice, your ongoing experience. And so that all kicks off next week, and uh, our classes are, for adults are upstairs, the women's class is in the lounge across the hall, and our students will be upstairs, and our children will be downstairs, and we hope that the Sounds of that 9 o'clock hour will be full and joyful beginning next week. So hopefully we'll see you at 9 o'clock for our Trinity classes. All right, I gave you enough time to turn to Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12, we're going to look at the last six verses as we close out our series. We, We didn't cover every word, but we certainly covered all the main themes that the preacher took us on in his journey, his quest to answer the question, Uh, What can man gain from all the toil by which he toils under the sun? 
And now we're going to come to the closing remarks from the narrator who began and now ends Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed at the, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, whether with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. God, we come to these closing words of Ecclesiastes, and we certainly need you to be with us. In the preaching of your word, in the hearing of it, the receiving, the believing, the trusting, and the following. Would you be with us? During this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Life under the sun can feel like a prison. You can work and labor and gain and yet not feel free. Feel trapped, shackled. Stuff and people and experiences can disappoint. Life can turn on us quickly or not go as it should. And all of this can feel fleeting or futile, or the word that we've been using throughout our series, frustrating. We've come across all of that as we've walked through Ecclesiastes. And yet, as we've walked through Ecclesiastes, we have found along the way that good things in life do happen. And as they do, they're to lift up our gaze from under the sun to above it, to an above-the-sun freedom. If life trapped under the sun is a prison, then there is above the sun freedom. In the film adaptation of the Shawshank Redemption, such a moment happened when Andy Dufresne, at great cost to himself, locked himself in the warden's office, blaring in an Italian opera across the prison's intercom system. Andy's friend, Red, narrates that moment. I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than any Buddy in a gray place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. Andy spent a month in solitary confinement to feel free. And that feeling, unfortunately, was fleeting in that it disappeared just as quickly as it had arrived. It was also futile in that it didn't bring about actual freedom for any of them. 
just the sort, short sensation of it, like a heartache. In short, that feeling gave way to the jarring reality of the prison of frustration found in life under the sun. As we've walked through our series, we've been trying to tackle how do we live well in a frustrating world. And the answer to living well in a frustrating world, a world that shackles us under the sun, the the answer ultimately is you live well in a frustrating world with above-the-sun freedom. Above-the-sun freedom. Under the sun is an expression the preacher kept using throughout Ecclesiastes to sort of capture the ethos, the mentality, the thought process of looking at life without looking at God. And above the sun is sort of our antithesis, our response to such a thought. It's to look at life by thinking of God. And therein lies our freedom, and therein lies how we live well. So that above the sun freedom, it it brings to us a number of things. As we consider these last six verses, the first thing that we're going to see is that the above the sun freedom helps us cling to what is good. Above the sun freedom clings to what is good. Clings to what is good. Here we find the narrator looking over the survey of the preacher's sayings, and he says that there are careful words of delight and truth. Look again at verses 9 and 10 with me. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So our narrator, this is a third-person voice now that, that completes Ecclesiastes. We found his voice at the very beginning, the first few words of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and then the preacher took over for for the next 11 plus chapters. And now here we find that narrator coming back and, and closing off the book. Sort of a bookend thought. And our narrator understands our preacher to be wise. That he was busy teaching knowledge and carefully weighing and studying and arranging Proverbs. The preacher took seriously his quest. And, and in that serious quest to find out how in the world can we live well in a frustrating world... He carefully arranged his thoughts. And the preacher meant to help people understand life in this world, unafraid of the frustrating nature of it. In fact, he just really got real with people in order to help people. He pursued all the things of life, power, pleasures, possessions, and he went all in at doing it. And he found them lacking and, and was unafraid to share that with others. What a gift. What honesty. It helps us tremendously. And so our narrator sees the preacher as wise. And the preacher had the goal of imparting words of delight and words of truth. Words of delight and words of truth. That is, the preacher cared about both the form and content of what he taught. He was eager to have beauty in art just as much as truth in wisdom. In fact, you could look at Ecclesiastes and really all of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament as wisdom creatively displayed. But when you read through it, you see gifted writer, not just an intelligent person. 
our narrator reflects positively on these qualities, giving us an example of how an above-the-sun freedom can look at the things of life, even the good things of life, and, and hold on to them and cling to them as good, recognize them as such. Even if we take a more sour disposition with our preacher, the narrator is not bound to an under-the-sun reality. He can see the good and the true and the beauty in this frustrating world. At the end of this Ecclesiastes, as this narrator comes in and adds some positive outlook on the things that the preacher talked about throughout his discourse, it helped me think of Help me not think, you know, I couldn't think of anything but Samwise saying to Frodo in Lord of the Rings, there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Our narrator sees the good that the preacher is doing for us. Even if the preacher still struggled with what he was learning about life in a frustrating world. When we know that there is good in this world, even in the midst of frustration, it changes our disposition. It changes our dispositions in the joys that we experience and in the sorrows that come our way. In fact, it helps us to not chase after ultimate joy in something that is bound under the sun. Knowing that those things under the sun will never truly, fully, and forever satisfy our hearts. And it helps us understand that we don't have to cling tightly to that which is fleeting, or futile, or frustrating. And so we see that there is an above the sun freedom. And we can enjoy the good things in this life. And that the good things in this life, as we've said throughout the series, can be and should be enjoyed. Now, we also get out of these two verses a sense of find what you're looking for above the sun. Find what you're looking for by finding it above the sun. Look again back at verse 10. The preacher sought to find words of delight. And uprightly, he wrote words of truth. And maybe he inspired you too, but did he find what he was looking for? As you think back over Ecclesiastes, did the preacher find it? Did he find what he was looking for? It's debatable. It's debatable. On one hand, the narrator is framing this positively, but on the other hand, Ecclesiastes reads as a work of someone who didn't ultimately find what he was looking for. I can't help but think back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 25. That little paragraph, it was very startling. It, it, it seemed very conclusive from his perspective. In verse 725, he said, I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. He, he sought out to, to find what he was looking for. And what does he find at the very end of that paragraph? In verse 29, he says, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many things. What he found was a frustrating world filled with frustrating people. 
And the prison of frustration under the sun is this. Constantly seeking wisdom without seeking God. But you can put in other things in there too. Constantly seeking goodness without seeking God. That's a prison of frustration. Constantly seeking gain without seeking God is a prison of frustration. Constantly seeking life to the full without seeking God is a life of frustration. As the preacher went through his quest, he was doing so without necessarily seeking God and therefore finding all the things that he did find to be frustrating. In a word, it's a trap. It's a trap. Life under the sun brings bitterness to good things and rottens that which is sweet. But above the sun, freedom rescues us from that trap and enables us to cling to what is good with joy. And it's that rescue that's so important. Because here we find also, not only are we finding that an above the sun freedom helps us cling to that which is good, we find above the sun freedom makes much of grace. Above the sun freedom makes much of grace. Life under the sun is focused on gain. Life above the sun makes much of grace. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 again. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Above the sun, freedom makes much of grace. It gives us a perspective on life that is grace-saturated as opposed to gain-oriented. At the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 12, this last chapter of Ecclesiastes, we found that the preacher calls us to remember your Creator. To remember your Creator. And last week, Ryan did a great job of helping us see that this call to life uh, to, to look at life through a lens of God's sovereignty is important. That God is over everything. And that's true. And that's, these represent the last words of the preacher. And he says, remember your creator. But as crucial as this is, that's as far as the preacher takes us to God. Yes, he is over everything. That tells us something about God's position and his power, but doesn't necessarily tell us much about his nature and his character. So the narrator jumps in. The narrator takes us a step closer, in fact, all the way close, much closer. And it sees all truth coming from the one shepherd. And maybe you noticed in your translation, the one that was on the screen, the shepherd was capitalized. There's a clear reference to the nature and character of God, not just to His power and His position. It's a a word that is 
loaded in meaning and richness and depth in the Old Testament. To understand God as shepherd is to see God as Savior. To understand the nature and character of His grace. That the imagery of shepherd isn't a God who's big and over all things, though that's very true in the Bible, the Old and New Testament, certainly communicate that truth to us. But the word shepherd communicates that God has entered into our world under the sun in order to, like a shepherd, lead us up out of it above the sun. He came all the way down into the prison to lead the prisoners to freedom. He is not unacquainted with our frustrating lives and world, but he entered into them. Because the word shepherd carries with it such an important understanding of the richness of God's grace that he is our savior. It's no accident that the narrator is drawing our attention to the shepherd. Remember your creator and your savior, your shepherd. God isn't just over everything. God is right with you in everything. What grace. Above the sun, freedom makes much of our gracious God. And when you think of God as a shepherd, it's impossible to not think of Psalm 23. Maybe you already did. Maybe you already thought Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, we find these words. First, The first three verses say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We'll keep reading, but just stop there. Ecclesiastes is the exploration, the the journey of someone going after everything, not considering God and finding everything wanting. And here, the narrator says, remember your shepherd, remember your Savior. You will not want. The world will be a frustration and it will not satisfy you, but God will. And how? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When you think of all that we considered in Ecclesiastes, all of those frustrations, all of those moments when the preacher says vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Here is the antithesis and the antidote to that. Here is the freedom above the sun with a gracious God who is the one Or it continues in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In in Ecclesiastes 12, we see goad and and nails that are fixed. and, and, And you're wondering, what in the world is that imagery conveying to us? Well, a goad is something that prods you along and it gives you direction. These fixed nails are are stationary and they give you a foundation. And so following after the one shepherd and above the sun freedom, you both have direction and foundation for life, even under the sun. And so it is a call to lift your gaze above the sun above the horizon to a God who is over all, but who draws near and is gracious and good and is the foundation and direction of our lives. 
And then you think of Psalm 23, the last two verses, 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Get this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we went through Ecclesiastes, every time the preacher came up to eternity, every time the preacher came up to what comes after death, he kind of just stopped. He says, I don't know, you don't know, we don't know. So enjoy the life that you have. Enjoy the good things that you get, because you just don't know. And here the narrator is drawing us to think on the deep imagery of God as our shepherd. And what do we do know? We do know. That God will be with us throughout all of our days, whether they are full and filled and, and gloriously overflowing, or whether they are lingering through the dark corridors of the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us through them all, every one of them. And he is with us throughout all eternity. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What grace. The gift of Ecclesiastes helps us see the, the emptiness of making the things of this world our ultimate joy, our ultimate hope, our ultimate, our ultimate direction and foundation. What a gift. And the narrator calls us to think upon the one shepherd. Who entered in to lead us out. So when we come back to that overarching question in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Our preacher sought to answer that question and he went all out to do it. And he had it all. He had every possible resource available to him. Every possible position everything that you could imagine to benefit his quest and his search. And he was focused on gain rather than grace. Instead of spending your life on the toil of gain, our narrator wants us to spend our lives growing in the gain of grace. God cares deeply about you, and that is far better than anything that you could gain in this world. And maybe you just needed to hear that this day, that God cares deeply about you. And that there is nothing that you could possibly gain in this world that can compete to the affection that God has for you. I'd rather be threadbare. I say it. I hope I mean it. I'd rather be threadbare and have the affection of God than gain the whole world and lose my soul. So above the sun, freedom makes much of grace, not gain. Under the sun, living is all about gain that's obsessed with it. Above the sun, freedom rests and rejoices in the God of all grace. Thirdly, we find that above the sun, freedom says God is worth it. Above the sun, freedom says God is worth it. Last two verses. 
the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We find an above-the-sun purpose that the whole duty of our lives, if we could summarize it in a word, is worship. That is, living out our lives as if God is worth it. Worth it to follow, worth it to know, worth it to love, worth it to make much of. That God is worth it. And that is the foundational basis of the word worship. That we're saying the worthiness of God in the manner of our lives. Fear God is, a, is an important phrase. It, it can mean terror or it can mean reverence. And context matters which is being referred to. And here our narrator is putting it under the idea of reverence. Living as if God is worth, worth it. That the ultimate aim of life is worship. That we are created for worship. That we are created to know God and glorify Him. And by His grace we get to know and glorify Him forever. That is our aim. But under the sun, frustrations often exist because we worship something not worthy of that act. That we ask something under the sun to be to us what only God can be, who only God is worthy for. But above the sun, freedom is like that day in the dead of winter when the clouds break. And the sun is bright and warm and the sky is big and blue. There's something bigger and better and grander and glorious and something worth it. The nature and character of God's grace is to bring us up out of the mucky mire of that wintry mix, the devilry that is end of February to the beginning of May in New England. It's not winter, it's not spring. It's something else. Anyway, but God in His grace rescues from that something else. To see that He indeed is worth it. And so Ecclesiastes ends with the call to fear God. That if you want to live wisely, if you want to live clinging to the good, if you want to live making much of His grace, if you want to say He is worth it, that you start there. But that's an interesting place to end for Ecclesiastes. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, also in Old Testament wisdom literature, also written with great beauty and truth, it starts with that call. Ecclesiastes ends with it. Proverbs begins with the call to fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes ends with it. It's the same call. For Proverbs, the call is formative. It's for the one who is setting out into this world, into this life, under the sun. And it's giving, here are the successful steps toward living above the sun in an under the sun frustrating world. So Proverbs is saying, this is the direction to go. The beauty and, and, and joy of Ecclesiastes is that its call at the very end, it's corrective. It's for the one who bailed on Proverbs, who chased after the world, found it to be fleeting and futile and frustrating, and is coming back dejected and empty. And you're not coming back to a God who said, I told you so, ha ha ha, your life's in ruins. Look what you did. 
No, it's, it's a call coming back to a God who is gracious. Who's still calling you to him. Who hasn't tossed you aside because you tossed aside Proverbs. I don't know which one you are in this room. Or maybe what your experiences are in this life. Maybe for some of you, you need to go back to Proverbs and, and get that formative call. As you launch into life. But for others in here, maybe, maybe Ecclesiastes is that corrective call you needed to hear. Either way, the call is formative or corrective is leading us to a gracious God. Who has more grace in him than we have sin in us. So no matter who you are, God in his infinite grace and mercy is calling you to him. That's Ecclesiastes. A confusing and hard to understand and overwhelming at times book of the Bible that's a gift to us. Exposing honestly what life chasing after this world can be so that we don't sink under it, that we don't stay trapped behind its bars. Andy Dufresne opened a window onto a horizon bigger than the bars and walls, and in came a beautiful bird with a song of freedom. But that bird was snuffed out, and that window was slammed shut, and the feeling free was gone like a fleeting mist. Ecclesiastes shows us that life under the sun without God will have moments of fleeting joy. But those moments will be snuffed out and slammed shut. In showing us this reality, Ecclesiastes is a gift. A gift that points us to grace rather than to gain. To the God who saves rather than to the world that disappoints. No matter your history, no matter your hurts, no matter your hopes, there is an above the sun freedom offered to you. It's offered to you in the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ who actually entered in to our world under the sun and lived out his life on, in our place, who laid out that life for us, who took on our sin and our shame and overcame it in his death and resurrection, defeating all the prison bars of life under the sun and providing for us the wonderful rescue and freedom above the sun. That is what Ecclesiastes should drive us to. To drive us to the God of grace who has made a way for us to live free in a world that frustrates and disappoints. And may your heart find great joy and encouragement and salvation in a God who graciously saves sinners through his son, Jesus Christ. This book is a gift to drive us to the God of grace. May that be so. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that in it, it brings life and salvation. It brings rescue. It brings formation and correction, all so that our hearts would rest in you. And any heart here, God, that is feeling weary or worn out or wounded, God, would you bring the necessary grace to lift up and strengthen 
any heart that might be hard or far from you, filled with regret or shame for living a way that was counter to you. God, I pray that you would bring your grace to bear on the heart as well, that you would tenderize it through your saving grace and work in Jesus Christ. For all of us, God, I would pray, young and old and everywhere in between, that we would find in our hearts and in our lives that you indeed are worth it, and that we would be eager to live as if you are. Equip us, we pray. Encourage us this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.